This is Getting Lit with Linda Mora, the podcast where you can come and get lit, Canadian lit, that is. Join Linda as she talks about authors in Canada and sometimes with them, using her expertise to shed light on recent and not-so-recent writers. And now, get set for Getting Lit with Linda. Happy holidays, everyone, and all my best wishes for the coming year. In this, my last episode of the season, I've invited several of my past guests to extend their wishes to you and to recommend one book for your holiday reading. My own recommendation is Ivan Coyote's Care of, Letters, Connections, and Cures. I believe the title is suggestive of the content and the reason for my recommendation, but I'll also be devoting an entire episode to this book in the new year. At the very end of this particular episode, I'm leaving you with a little gift, a bonus from the Getting Lit with Linda archives, a rough cut of an interview with Ali Hassan of Canada Reads. And then I'll be back for season three in February of 2022. And now, here are some of the good wishes and recommendations of those who were involved in season two of Getting Lit with Linda. Hi, this is Chantelle Lavoie from Kingston, Ontario. I'm wishing you all a lovely holiday season and a wonderful 2022 and recommending, if you haven't yet read it, Margaret Atwood's Dearly. Hello, everybody. I'm Michael Nest. I'm the co-author of Cold Case North, The Search for James Brady and Absalom Helcott. And the book I would like to suggest as my recommended reading is actually by David Chariandi and the book is I've been meaning to tell you a letter to my daughter and it is both beautifully written but as somebody who's fairly new to Canada I found it a really interesting insight into contemporary Canada um, the good and the bad and everything in between and I really loved it. Joyeux fête like they say in uh, here in Quebec and um, season's greetings to everybody thank you. Hi, everybody. It's Amanda Barker here. Just want to wish everyone a happy, wonderful winter. I hope this winter affords you some time to curl up with a duvet, a hot cup of tea, and hopefully a gorgeous Canadian novel. My recommendation would be The Best Kind of People by Zoe Whittle. I love this book. It's um, one that I come back to again and again. It made me think about myself and my choices and the people in my world. And uh, I think it's just a gorgeous, beautifully told story. Seasons greetings. This is Marco Timpano, author of 25 Things I Wish I Knew Before I Started My Podcast. There's a title for you. And I'm here with my book recommendation. I suggest you pick it up on Boxing Day because you might find it a little bit cheaper. This is my recommendation Fall on Your Knees by Anne-Marie MacDonald. It is a, a large book. I would call it a brick. And for the first 500 pages, I was not enthralled, and it really felt like it was dragging. But the last 66 pages took me on a roller coaster ride, and I couldn't turn the pages fast enough. So I feel like there was a lot of setup and a huge payoff. So I recommend... Fall on Your Knees by Anne Marie McDonald. And I hope your holiday season is merry and bright. We have a special bonus episode today with a guest I'm really pumped to introduce, Ali Hassan. I interviewed him at home for this podcast. 
Today, I'm being joined by Ali Hassan, who's not only a stand-up comic, actor, and chef who's performed on stages across Canada, the U.S., the U.K., and the Middle East. He's also the host of Laugh Out Loud on CBC Radio and was the lead comedy panelist on CBC Television's George Strombolopoulos Tonight, for which he recorded over 160 episodes. And he's also the co-host of the podcast Eat and Drink, which I absolutely love. We might be referring to that in today's episode. He's famously the host and moderator of Canada Reads. So, Ali, welcome to the show. It's a pleasure to have you today Thank as a guest. Thank you, Linda. He is also slowly sipping on mezcal this evening to, uh, <laughs> to have a nice, relaxed... If I've learned anything from my partner, Marco Timpano, on my Eat and Drink podcast, a nice drink really uh, you know, sets a, sets a great tone for, a, um, for an interview. I've got an espresso that I just downed prior to starting the show. That's my signature. Good luck sleeping tonight. <laughs> so we're going to be focusing on or chatting primarily about Canada Reads, uh, given that this is a literary podcast, although we might veer off a little bit here and there. We do have some listeners who are outside of Canada. So for those listeners, could you start by telling us what is Canada Reads? Well, Canada Reads is a, an incredible event. I think we've done 19 years now. Uh, when I say incredible, I don't mean just like a source of great pride in Canada. I mean, it's something that was copied in uh, by Americans, by PBS. Now, I'm not going to mm -hmm. say they stole our idea, but uh, one of their judges <laughs> was Margaret Atwood. So you can do the math on that. Anyway. Um, Canada Reads definitely did come first, and I, you know, um, uh, the Great American Book Read. Or so, I can't remember what it's called in the U.S. That's how patriotic I am that I did not even commit it to memory. <laughs> uh, but it is basically five uh, celebrities in Canada, Canadians of, of, of varying degrees of celebrity. You know, it's very interesting because. Um, sometimes I say, oh, I don't know that person. And other people are like, oh, my God, you sat across from that person. So it's depending on your own life, you will see them in a different uh, from a different lens of celebrity. So five different uh, Canadian celebrities come together as panelists. They mm -hmm. champion one book that they believe all of Canada should read. And there is a winner. It's, it's sort of a contestant reality style show uh, or, or format. And by the end of four days of debate, we have a winner, and that is that book and that author. The authors we don't really meet until after the fact, but that author and that book is uh, crowned the winner of Canada Reads, and it's a great, it's a huge, huge boon to the sales of that book, and and so is just being mm -hmm. on Canada Reads, and often uh, a, a huge boost to the profile of those panelists and those celebrities as well. It really is. I had a a student who was working on or researching Canada Reads and spoke to the author, some of the past authors who were involved, like Terry Fallis. What he discovered is that the authors thought it was, as you say, a great boon. So the Giller, there's the Giller Prize, the Governor General's Award. I'll be talking about this in another episode. Yep. But while Canada Reads doesn't come with that kind of, it's not the same profile, it does distinguish the authors. And suddenly everybody is buying the books of those who make it to the shortlist. 
Sure. Well, for people outside of Canada, this might not sound huge, depending on where they're listening from, but it is somewhere between 1.6 and a little over 2 million people will tune in, either via radio, mm-hmm. on, on CBC Radio, or on CBC Television, or on um, will go on the web and, and, and download it after the fact or watch it live. So by, its, by the time it's all said and done and people watch it afterwards because they weren't watch, able to watch it live, it's usually over 2 million people that watch it so you can you know the buying power even of let's say i don't know a tenth of those people is a huge boost to uh, to the book industry yeah so let's talk about your involvement with canada reads you've been the moderator the host for 3 4 years that's right this this year was my fourth year almost didn't happen was postponed indefinitely and then happened over the summer and it was it was great it was it was definitely different crew all around us in masks and no live audience and um, not the same level of nerves in the room as, as it has when you have a few hundred people watching you. But it was still a fantastic year as far as the books, as mm-hmm. far as the level of preparation and passion of the, uh, of the panelists. And uh, it was wonderful. You know, obviously it was, a, it was a little bit unfortunate to not have it in its same format, but from my perspective, just happy to have it happen, uh, have it take place at all in 2020. So, um, yeah, four years. It almost seems self-evident to say that this year it was slightly different because of COVID. I mean, of course, yeah. Well, who knows what uh, what kind of archives this show will go into? Uh, you know, Linda, maybe people in mm-hmm. the year 2045 will be listening and be like, you know what I heard about that great, uh, whatever we will call this, Great, tra- you know, train wreck dumpster fire that was 2020. <laughs> so I'm just jogging people's memories who are going to be listening in the future, potentially. Um, tell us about the, the process of your becoming involved as a host. How did that happen? I don't know the exact, um, you know, machinations, but I, I, it's very interesting. This story kind of sums up my life in general. What I want what I'm going for, what I'm motivated and inspired to do, I don't get. And then I wind up getting something else. And, uh, and, and it often winds up being an absolutely incredible, rewarding experience because I had no expectations. Um, mm-hmm. So I, you know, my, my goals weren't really even in radio. They really were in television. And then I, uh, you had mentioned in my bio, I, I, w- I got this television uh, I got this huge shot in the arm to my career being on a, a, a 160 episodes of this uh, panel on the George Strombolopoulos Tonight Show. And it was- it's pretty impressive. Fantastic. So that in itself was crazy. Four auditions and one of those auditions, I cut my upper lip and I was bleeding out of a mole through my through my upper <laughs> lip and I still got the audition. I was like, oh, that's weird. So, you know, these these things just kind of... You know, don't let anything get you down out there. Anything you're going for, you know, you put your head down and don't don't let obstacles seem like they're obstacles because uh, sometimes they really aren't. But in any case, I thought TV was going to be my my thing. Then I, I, I started hosting a show called Laugh Out Loud on CBC Radio. And I enjoy mm-hmm. that. I enjoy this connection to fellow comedians across this country. I enjoy intru- introducing or reintroducing um, comedians to Canadian listeners and um, so that show had been great, but then that sort of put me in the radio world. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, so some of my acting work was starting to pick up. And so I approached uh, a, a woman named Tara Mora, 
No, no relation, Linda. No, I don't know uh, one who that R, is. One R only. And uh, Tara is the head of CBC Books. So I approached her because a friend of mine, Trent McClellan, had been on Canada Reads. He had championed February, the book February, and he had won, mm-hmm. actually. And he's very, very funny and very well read. And I was like, I think... I think I could do what Trent did. Maybe they look for comedians every year, every couple of years. So I went to Tara and I said, I'd just like to th- sort of throw my name in the ring. If you're looking for co- uh, comedians, you know, I, I come mm-hmm. from a, a literary family. My father was uh, a, a teacher of English and a short story writer and you know, academic. And grandfather was a poet and short story writer and so on. And I, I, I enjoy this world very much. That's interesting. I didn't know that about your background. Yeah. Yeah. My, my, my grandfather, maternal grandfather, puts a lot of pressure in, in, in some circles. He was the founder of modern day prose in Pakistan in the, in the Urdu no language. Kidding. Yeah. So when you meet Pakistani Urdu speakers at an event and they're like, oh, what are you doing here? And I'm like, oh, I'm going to tell some jokes about soup in about five minutes. They're like, aren't you... <laughs> N.M. Rashid's grandson. It's a very embarrassing. Like it's it's really something to live up to, and I haven't lived up to it. But it's uh, it's it's an interesting. Oh, part I of think my, you have. It's a it's a different legacy. A different that's legacy, all. Mm-hmm. Maybe. So I went hoping to be a panelist, and and whatever my timing was, Tara had told me, "Well, we're all we're we're all set for this year, but I'll keep you in mind." And um, she said, "You know, I uh, in 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 future months, she would pass by me in the hallway of CBC, and she said, I have your picture on my wall.' So I was imagining a massive picture of myself on her wall. I was like, that is very strange that she does she has that. I don't know why she needs that. Any day, one, one day she invited me to her office. Yes, I was on her wall, but so were I don't know." 65 other pictures of other potential oh panelists. Yeah. No kidding. Yeah, I was like, oh, that doesn't that doesn't help me stand out in any way. And some of them, you know, it's like this person how uh, social media following, how many Twitter followers? One of them had like 380,000 Twitter followers. I think I had like, Oh my god. I, th- I think I had 1200. So I was like, oh, okay, so I'm not <laughs> in the running for this at all. And then one day she gave me a call and she said, I'd like to ask you why you didn't ask to be the host of Canada Reads. And I said, I didn't know that was an option. I didn't even know that was a thing. I thought the host of Q hosts Canada Reads. She says, no, that's not necessarily true at all. Um, that that we we're, 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 are looking for a host and your name keeps coming up when I ask about uh, potential hosts. Uh, but you didn't express an interest in that. And I said, well, I'd be, I'd be honored to be that. She goes, okay, we'll keep you in mind for that. Now, I'm going to pull back some of the, 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 the curtain of what is Canada Reads. These, these employees, these, these people in the, in the CBC Books office, this team works so incredibly hard. Oh, I believe that. I mean, it, it looks like it just comes together. It's about nine to ten months minimum of trying mm-hmm. to figure out it's, it's a real puzzle because you have five panelists and a host there should be gender mm-hmm. uh, uh diversity there should Parody. be diversity mm-hmm. of people's backgrounds diversity of income diversity of where they come from in the country of canada mm-hmm. diversity of actual voice and tone because oh, so many yeah so many people tune in on the radio that you don't want radio listeners being like i can't tell who's talking those two men oh, sound the course. same right so there's 
so many factors. And then off the people themselves, will they read the books? Are they people who are committed to it or are they just saying mm-hmm. it? Is this somebody who wants to be part of Canada Reads? Are they Is that a worry? Is that a worry that the, the advocate won't actually read the books? I, I think so. I mean, I, I think from what I've seen is that, that that's human nature. If I go up mm-hmm. to a young comedian and I say, hey, I, I need somebody to do 20 minutes ahead of me in this large venue. Do you have 20 minutes? Pretty much every comedian will say, I do, even though many of them will not have a solid A plus 20 minutes. The idea being like, I, I can't pass up this chance. It's such a big yeah, platform. I will get 20 minutes. I'll, I'll just riff with the crowd for 10 or whatever it is. you know. So there is that worry that people will say, sure, I love reading. I'll read all five, I'll read all five books. There are people who sort of maybe skim over. I don't know. And then there's others who read each book four or five times, let's say two, three times. Oh, yeah, yeah. Level of preparation that I've seen from different panelists has been mind-blowing, really, really. Does that make a difference in terms of, um, do you find that advocates who are more prepared in that way, reading three, four, five times, that they often make the best advocates? I have found that, yes. I have found that the panelists who show up with a dog-eared copy of their book (laughs) with 45 different colors of post-it notes all in their book and then a binder with information about each book. Oh, wow. They make for great for great panelists. And and their level of preparation is probably intimidating to some of the other panelists. You must read the books in advance. I do. I do. You know, uh, 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 somebody named Anne McKeegan, a very, very helpful person to me in the CBC building. She was known as the host whisperer <laughs> when people would start hosting. She would sort of coach them through, you know, hey, when this happens, try to zero in on this or somebody says it. So she was very useful to me, particularly when I started guest hosting on Q. She would help me and go through stuff with. She wound up becoming the mm-hmm. the, the, pro, the the director on on the show Q, so she doesn't do that work as much anymore. She's got her her plate is full. But Anne McKeegan had told me that there was an argument that was made that some people really supported that the host should not read any of the books. Why? To be truly an impartial moderator. I was that was going to be my follow up question. Yeah. Do you have a do you have a secret bias when? Oh, absolutely. There's no question about that. How can you, just as a human being, you will connect with some pieces of work more than you will others. That's, yeah, that's just inevitable. So then the work, part of the work for the moderator for me becomes keep your mouth shut. Don't even give, because it's really, you don't even be like, that's a great point. That's a great point. And then when somebody else says something, I don't say it's a great point. You know what I mean? Like, and radio oh, yeah. is such an intimate medium that people will pick up on things like that. People will pick up on the fact that, oh, this host really has a thing for that book. That's pretty clear. So I thought you were quite impartial personally. I, so thank I was- you very much. It took work. <laughs> it took work. It took like yeah, every year I have a favorite or two by far. Um, actually, this year they were all, this past year, 2020, they were all excellent. They were quite good. But mm-hmm. there's been years where like two out of the five are quite unpleasant. Like I really didn't enjoy the journey of reading them and I can't give that away. You don't have to really keep it. So part of the work is, uh, and that's why that argument was made that maybe they shouldn't read. But I personally think I'm in a better place as a moderator to guide things along. If somebody 
out of the blue says, well, that's what Tanya would say. That's exactly what Tanya would say. I don't want to be like, and, and who is Tanya? I want to be able to tell you. And Tanya, of course, is the protagonist from your book. You know what I mean? I want to guide. Yes. Because many people listen to Canada Reads. Um, I always found this interesting. They don't care about the spoiler alerts. Oh, they They're don't. like, I'm listening now. No, I'm listening now. And then this is going to help me figure out which books to read. When you receive copies of the books, when you have these books in your hands, do you have, there's the expression, don't judge a book by its cover. Mm-hmm. Do you judge the book by its cover? And then do you get these pleasant surprises after you've read? Sure. I was just telling my wife the other day, there's a movie with Adam Sandler and Andy Samberg. It's called That's My Boy. And just the way mm-hmm. that Adam Sandler is leaning on Ad- Andy Samberg and yelling, ah, you know, that's my boy. I was like, that poster is such a turnoff for me. I'm never going to watch And my <laughs> wife was like, don't, don't judge a book by its cover. I'm like, no, but this book, we know Adam Sandler. We know when it's good. We know when it's bad. You know, you know when he's doing bad work. You just know. And in any case, Canada Reads has actually been... Uh, a, a real a real lesson in not judging a book by its cover because one of my favorite books which was in 2016 one of the best books i've i've read still to this day was uh katharina vermette's the break, the break. Mm-hmm. now the break okay three generations or maybe four generations of indigenous women mm-hmm. in the north end of winnipeg that's that that's the setting mm-hmm. i have nothing to do with that world i am uh, Born in the Maritimes, raised in French Quebec, uh, you know, Pakistani Canadian, stand-up comic. I have nothing to do with that. So if I was the type who would be like, "Ugh, this book is going to be nothing of interest to me," I I would have gone in with a bad attitude. Instead, open mind. My perspective is, it's art. It's art. You're not looking mm-hmm. into a mirror. You're looking at art. You try to expand yourself. You know, this, this, this is the danger, I think, when people say, I didn't see myself in that book. I didn't, do you have to? Do you I have to. I, I couldn't agree more. I couldn't agree more with that assertion. Which is, it's an interesting thing because I'm also the guy who, who values those, um, you know, the Apu character in The Simpsons. Oh, and, yeah. and, and I'm like, you know, those, those characters should be authentic because that's what kids look at. Mm-hmm. And that's what, the other day we heard that um, uh, Schitt's Creek yes. okay, uh, on Comedy Central India was censoring a scene of two men kissing. Their argument oh. being, well, it's in the day. We don't want to show that. But my argument is there are young men, you know, they, they showed two women kissing, but not two men. That's why I'm focusing on men. There are young men, young boys in India who would be so moved, empowered, inspired, positively affected, let's say, by seeing two men on screen kiss. And you're denying so many of them that experience by censoring that kiss or just, you know, editing it out. Mm -hmm. So I'm still that guy. But when it comes to books, I feel it's a different thing. I feel like there's so much literature. There's so much that, yes, you can find books that are exactly about your experience, but then what, what you can learn about books that have nothing to do with you is... It's like an incalculable uh, gift. Often when I teach my classes, I will say at the beginning of my classes that I expect that literature is meant to extend our experience, to develop a sense of empathy. It's not about creating this circular, insular world 
but understanding worlds that have nothing to do with us at all. So I I couldn't agree with you more. And if you're on social media, you're already living in such a bubble because these these algorithms just um, reinforce your own views. I was my mind yes. was blown a couple of years ago when I found out that trending on Twitter is not actually trending; it's trending on you for Twitter. Yes, it's what you are more interested in, and I was like, that is so unfortunate. So. There's already forces out there that are curating stuff just for you, so you will never be able to extend yourself. My my suggestion, uh, you know, just jumping off what you just said is, don't let literature be one of those things because it can be so much more. It can really, uh, it, you know, extend you and expand your mind. That's magnificent, actually. I think that's great. It's exactly why I love literature and why I teach it. Um, mm-hmm. Let's do a playful question. If while you're reading these books and preparing for the next Canada Reads, do you drink coffee, tea, or tequila with the book you're reading? Hmm. I, I tell you, I should tell you that Marco asked me to ask that. Yeah, that's funny. I, you would think that I'm a big fan of tequila, and you would think that tequila would be the answer, but it's not because uh, I've had this situation with TV shows where my wife and I are like we or or not maybe not TV shows but or like a series let's say we watch three episodes or we watch a movie and you know the third out of the three episodes we watch I don't remember a thing I'm like what <laughs> this happened she goes oh my god do you have to re go rewatch the third episode before we move on episode four I was like damn it I think so the stuff you're telling me really doesn't ring a bell so I you know sometimes my mind just checks out depending on how much tequila is going in and depending how long the book is. This year, Megan Gale Coles wrote a book. Oh, um, gosh, you know, yes. Uh, small uh, small Game Hunting, which 420 plus were, uh, pages. If I started tequila on that, I mean, that that's a lot of book that I'm not going to remember. So, <laughs> and, and that book is, is a perfect example of like just something that is so incredibly for me anyway engrossing and powerful and just a beautiful dance of language it is i, I don't want tequila getting in the way yeah you know, something like that potentially yeah so it's uh it's tea it's actually tea i should say that for those who who don't know what i'm referring to when i say that marco asked me to ask this question marco is a co-producer um of this particular show but of course he's also the co-host with you of eat and drink Eat and drink. He's the drinker and eat and drink, and I'm the eater. He makes a cocktail <laughs> every week, and I make a meal every week, and we share what we've done. And then, yeah, so uh, yeah, that's, uh, that's on brand for him to ask me that question. Yeah. Absolutely, great fun. Um, I couldn't agree more about the Coles novel as well. By the way, I thought it's such a powerful novel. It's a very difficult and painful read. When I first read it, I felt angry for about three or four days, but not because. Mm-hmm the book was so badly written. It was because it was so beautifully written and so distressing in some ways to read. So I couldn't agree more. I got a little bit of a a, a hookup. You know, I I find that um, expectations and managing expectations plays such a big role in my life. It's it's, it's actually sad because it it maybe shows that I can't make decisions for myself, but... um, (laughs) My expectations were so managed inadvertently. Nobody, this wasn't done on purpose, but you know, I have to read all five books and I do that in January once the short list is, is uh, announced. So I have about eight weeks or seven weeks to read Mm -hmm. five books. And so the CBC books team 
the few women who are uh, the head of that team said to me, start with Megan Gale Coles. It is the longest and it's a bit of a, it's a tough read. It's tough. It's gritty. And I, I was told there's, there's no chapters. It starts on page one, ends on 422 or whatever. I was like, oh my God. So my expectations were like, oh, this is going to be so tough. This is hard. I just love that book. I just love it. Oh, I'm so it. pleased to hear you say that. Uh, it was amazing. I, you know what? I, what I really love reading are dialogue heavy books, mm-hmm. which, which makes me a bad sort of, you know, I'm a, a bad Canadian in the sense that I, you know, the Margaret Atwood book, the, the Alice Monroe, the stuff that 20 pages of describing a wintry landscape. I'm like, this is, you have a gift. You absolutely have a gift, but I really need people to talk. I really love scripts and I love books that that have a script-like feel to it. And mm-hmm. uh, especially when there's accents involved, she really just transported me to this world in Newfoundland in St. John's. And I Oh, what a what a book. I can't, you know, I, I and I recommend it and then I go, oh wait, 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 wait. Sorry. Let me go back to how it was recommended to me. It's gonna be tough, it's long, it has no chapters. Let me not, let me not, you know, um over exceed your expectations here. Let's talk a little bit about the experience of the we've been talking about the books now and a little bit about the advocates. Let's talk a little bit about your experience hosting the show. What was the most memorable moment? What was the moment that was filled with the most tension for you and how did you deal with it? That kind of thing. Every year brings a, a different level of tension. Um last year uh, the absence of tension created some tension. It was just a group of five very, very sweet people. So Zaya Tong was the winner, and Zaya Tong won with a novel that was a, a, a Holocaust memoir. Max Eisen's Max Eisen's novel? By Chance Alone, exactly. So that was the winner of Canada Reads. But I, Zaya, Zaya every day had some nerves about, they're going to vote me off because they're going to do this, and because she, she is herself quite strategic. And often strategy is involved in Canada reads, but the people she was sitting on the panel with didn't have those vibes. They were not competitive. They were not strategic. They were just, Hey, you know what? If you can change my mind, I'm happy to change my mind. And she won and she really couldn't believe it because she thought Mm -hmm. somebody would vote her off so that another book should win and they're going to band against me and this kind of stuff. So that was very interesting to watch her stress that never really, um, manifested. Never manifested. It wasn't fully justified, but it was. Uh, how do you know? You have no way of knowing that. You don't know that somebody doesn't have a competitive bone in their body. You know, you just don't. You can never really be aware of that. I think that was the season that Woo Woo was also. That's right. That's right. And there was this wonderful moment. This was a, a memorable moment for me as an audience member. There was this wonderful moment when, um, I can't remember the name of the advocate for that book at the moment. Yes. And so he said, he started talking about how there is no word in Chinese for depression or Mm. for, for psychological illness. Mental illness. That's right. I thought for mental illness, that's it. That's right. I was so moved by that. The, the, the lack of recognition in the language for that, yeah. that was a memorable moment for me. That's beautiful. And he, gosh, he defended it so passionately. Joe, Josie did, he knew it was like a bit of an uphill battle because mental mm-hmm. illness has the stigma it does. And 
You know, you're asking me about memorable moments. Every year, the most memorable thing, as you just jog this memory for me, is watching people sort of come in. Now, sometimes people come in like, I'm going to win this thing. But other times people come in like, uh, oh, I'm just happy to be here. And this is great. This will be a great experience. And watching them over a few days get more and more invested in hmm. their books and in the mm-hmm. author's sort of you know destiny or fate and, and future and uh, in their characters. And you watch them sort of transform as human beings. They mm-hmm. came in, um, you know, surface passionate. And then they leave like deeply, deeply passionate about things like not only that author who they meet, but also um, the cause, like in Joe's Joe's case, the cause of mental illness and what it means to be facing these things alone in a community that might not have uh, structures in place. And not just like you know physical structures, but the the the, the emotional structure and and the ability mm-hmm. to accommodate people who have uh, mental illness. Um, yeah, that was great. And every year that happens, people really really connect so much. This year, I think of um, of uh, Ganyadio Horn as she was defending Son of a Trickster. Also, it was very oh, very yes. moving for her to talk about what was important about this book and why it deserved to win. Um, um, it was very interesting. You know, this year's tension was the fact that uh, Akil Augustine, who is a fantastic orator, just so good, so good. I think his book is a collection of short stories by Cory Doctorow. Mm-hmm. hugely celebrated author already. Cory is a brilliant mind. And a couple of the stories, out of the four stories, were talking about stuff basically that's happening right now. In his fiction, he's he's telling the future and the future is now. It's so, now. Um, you know, like the black lives movement that was so uh, uh, in July, mm-hmm. it was huge. It was huge. And it continues to be obviously, but it was all engrossing. Like I'm, I'm writing a book. I stopped writing for two months because of what, after George Floyd's murder, I was just like, Oh, it was horrible. Uh, paralyzed uh, creative creatively, you know, so we're living in that time. And, and um, you know, Trump's, uh, mm-hmm. you know, the, 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 the shenanigans, the shenanigans, let's say that, but, but a couple of the stories in Cory Doctorow's book, um, the book's called radicalized are uh, police brutality was, was actually more than the black lives movement. It was police brutality that was front and center of one of the books. And I think Akil thought this book not only is going to win, it has to, people have no choice. It book is so unbelievable, unbelievably, uh, Prescient is that the word? Is that how you pronounce yes. it? It's 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 now. It's here. It, his book is life, and the panelists were like, "But we see life every day around us. We don't need to also read about it. It's mm-hmm. not the book Canada needs to read because Canada and the world is seeing all this stuff." And uh, that was interesting. That was interesting to see in Akil's eyes when he first heard the argument against his book. He, I could see him go. Oh man. Mm-hmm. Okay, I thought this was going to be easier than it than it than it was than it is. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. This is this is going to be a, an uphill battle, and I don't think he he thought he said I'm I'm the king here. I'm doing I'm going to win this, and and other people will try. I don't think it's going to work. Instead, he found himself exact opposite, where he's like, oh, I now have an uphill battle to climb, and I didn't realize the fact that. that he was there though, and that the book received the attention that it did is already a distinction, and so. 
I never feel that when the writers or the authors rather get voted off, the advocates and the authors get voted off, I never feel like it really is a significant loss because they were already there. Sure. Sure. I mean, you know, as a human being, you do have a certain amount of of, of pride and, mm-hmm. and, and your, your emotions have come with you to wherever you are in that process of mm-hmm. Canada Reads. So there is a little bit of, you know, you probably need at least 24 hours to recognize exactly what you just said. It's still a win. It's still great. Um, but that is 100% true. All those books do wind up being uh, celebrated across this country and, and, and beyond its borders just because they're in the show. So yeah, it is great. So um, if someone were to write Ali Hassan's book, a book about you, uh, your biography, mm-hmm. who would you want to write that? Well, this is a very interesting question. And what would the title be? Oh, that's a lot. That's a lot. <laughs> I'm going to have to... Who would you want to write it? I... You know whose writing I really love? David Cheriandi wrote a book called Brother. Oh, yeah. Uh, among a, a number of other books. And and Lisa Ray, uh, a- a- actress, and uh, you know, I think she was Miss India. She might have been Miss Universe at one point. Um, actor, um, advocate, uh, activist, um, author herself yes. now. She passionately did her absolute best to defend Brother. And I... I loved reading that book and I hearing her defense. I was like, I don't think you can compete against a Holocaust memoir and also Holmes, which was the other book in the mm-hmm. running was a, was a memoir of a, of a Syrian refugee. And those were so sort of of the time and of the moment. And she was sort of talking more about this evergreen beauty in the writing of David Cheriandi. I just, I loved reading that when, you know, brother was a book that I was like, Oh, too short. I wish there was more. I wish there was a sequel I could start. I love that. I just, it was a beautiful use of language. It, it's economical and it looked like this guy spent time making every word count. And so that's the type of book I would love to have. I don't. That's not how I write. That would be a great book and a, a, a great style. I write the way I speak. The same goofball you're hearing. Like, if I, there is no reason in the world that I wouldn't do my own audiobook. It wouldn't even make sense because it is just my voice, the same voice. And this is what people have said about me on stage also. I have friends who are like, you know, of all the comedians we see, your act seems the least like an act because it's just basically you walking up and just being the same person. So in, in the the writing winds up being the same way. I mean, writing, there, there is a little bit different. There are words that I can use in writing that I may not use around, you know, family and friends. They may, my, you know, my friends would be the first ones to be like, ah, oh, look, uh, who invited Einstein over here, huh? With the big <laughs> words. <laughs> but in a book, you could take some liberties with your friends not around. Tell us, what does Canada Reads mean to you? Well, I grew up with a, a, a father who was a teacher, English teacher. The courses he taught, he taught two different classes over, over his 35, 38-year career, however long mm-hmm. it was. Uh, one was called Third World Fiction, uh, books from, from, from authors in the developing world. And the other was the heroic ideal in literature, mostly you know the Odyssey, uh, Ulysses. Uh, he taught that. I never got into that as much. Third World Fiction was really what I love. But I, I always think about as a teen, even in my early 20s, I was... I was a partier and I loved to be out and I loved to be social. Mm-hmm. 
And my father, who had ten thousand plus books in his wow. library in the basement, just yeah, he was he was just well, he was also a hoarder. So it was amazing, but it was also like every month, my mother would be like, "What the hell is this now?" And my father would be like, "Ah, finally!" And it would be another box of books. He would descend with another box into the basement. She would go, "Oh my god." Um, but he had shelves for 90% of them, you know, and he put them up and it was his prize collection. I never saw him as broken as I did when we had a bit of a flood in our basement and oh he lost my, some of his That books. would devastate yeah, me. Was, yeah, yeah, he really, that, that broke him. That was a bad, bad time in his life. But his thing, you know, you know late teens, early 20s, his son, his passion for reading, be, you know, I... I he had three copies of Gabriel Garcia books. Oh like he had multiple copies of books because they would get too dog-eared. And I often saw him napping with a book open on his face. <laughs> like he would fall asleep <laughs> with books on his face. He would fall asleep reading. He would wake up reading if he woke up earlier than he needed to. He's just such a voracious reader. And meanwhile, his son, he was so embarrassed. He was like, you never read. You, I never see you reading. You have a library downstairs. You're not taking... And I just hear echoes of that when I talk to my kids sometimes about various things. And I always feel bad about that. But it would have made him so proud if he was still around to see me hosting a book, a, a, an event that celebrates literature. So on a personal note, there's always that. I know I'm, mm. I'm doing you know, my father and generations of family proud to have, have some role in this. And, and the other thing is that I think it's, it's hard not to recognize the fact that, that society is getting a little bit dumber day by day, week by week. I worry there's, about there's that. more things out there. Well, it's it's a constant worry for 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 people who mm-hmm. recognize it. I worry about that, and, yeah. Yeah, you know, our attention spans and our interest in literature, it seems like it's on the down. Mm-hmm. Right? It's on the downswing. And yet every year Canada Reads gives me this boost and this unbridled joy, people arguing about literature passionately. And, and, and you just, you know, I go to comedy clubs and people will tell me like, yeah, we're, they, they sheepishly tell me that we have these Canada Reads parties. It's kind of embarrassing. And I'm like, why are you embarrassed? This is amazing. You drink wine and you eat cheese and you debate with your friends about books. It's so great. And it's, as I said, over 2 million mm-hmm. people will tune into this and it, it gives me faith in humanity mm-hmm. that we put this importance in literature still and people still find books. And I always say this, like, if you've watched a television show that somebody else has watched, that's one thing. You have a certain level of a connection. But if you're ever on a beach and you see somebody reading a book that you've read, if I mm-hmm. went to Mexico one day, I hope to go back to it, and I saw somebody reading Megan Gale Cole's small game hunting at the local coward gun club, the joy I would feel the connection I would have to that person. I mean, it's something completely different, the way literature connects us. And the fact that I see it connecting for at least a few months every year uh, is, uh, is one of my life's greatest joys. And I don't know if I would have that without Canada Reads. It is a joy. I'm, I'm pleased I got to share with, with you today. And every time I listen to Canada Reads, Thank you, Ali, again for joining us today. And that again was Ali Hassan of Canada Reads and my gift to you for the holidays. I'd like to wish all of my listeners the happiest and healthiest of holidays. That was Getting Lit with Linda, hosted by Linda Mora. If you have a topic you would like to see covered, 
write to us at gettinglitwithlinda at gmail.com. Until next time, we hope you continue to get lit.